Thank you, Brother Baker. Take our Bibles and let's go back to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. And you've been given the abbreviated calendar that takes you up through the month of April. And it just highlights some of the events on there so you can get the big rocks on your schedule. Uh, January 7th, Evangelist Glenn Stevenson will be back with us preaching. Our Operation Saturation will be on that Saturday of the 13th, and then Vision Sunday will be the 14th, and then we have Revival Meeting with Dr. Jim Van Gelder, and it'll be, um, uh, I don't know, maybe the fourth meeting we've had here with him, and, and it's been just a, a very impactful time each time he's been here, and so we want to be praying about that, not what God can do for them, but what God can do for me. In my heart is the way we ought to be praying. And then we're going into February, and you've been watching Brother Michael Scott. You've seen him on the video, the sharpening videos. He'll be with us on the 11th, preaching on that Sunday all day. And then uh, out of Stillwater, Oklahoma, Bible Baptist is a missionary to India, Sam Thomas. He's Indian, and he is doing an incredible job, has been for several decades now in India, starting churches and just thriving and flourishing. Uh, he is uh, going to be with us on the 14th and then going down through March and April. We have men's advance in April, April 26th through 27, and we're uh, making plans to go back to Stillwater. I've set in on a little bit of the they're planning and they're working through uh, just already. They work on it year round and it will be a, an incredible follow up with what we've been given thus far and you won't want to miss that men. And so make plans for that and it's an investment that's well worth everything I believe that it takes to get uh, to put into that. And so I'm making other concessions so that we can put that on the calendar and get there for that. Luke chapter number two, we heard Brother Stevenson really preach from this, talking about the shepherds, and my mind has been here, and I want us to look at it from the standpoint of actually what was taking place there, but also what is taking place here, and that is, what do you do after the presents have been opened after the turkey's been eaten, after the uh, pumpkin pie has been devoured, and, um, and I'm, I'm trusting that there are still some Americans who eat pumpkin pie, and um, I, I've been shocked at the number of people that don't eat pumpkin pie. This place gets weirder and weirder in this uh, part of the country we live in. How do you not eat pumpkin pie? And, um, but I, I do understand you must be born again. And once that happens, the new birth and, and a lot of things flow out of that. But uh, once, once all that has happened, the day after Christmas, two days after Christmas, the week after Christmas, it's a time, I believe, a great time for pondering, for praising, for proclaiming. And after just a few hours, it seemed on Monday, Christmas was over. Uh, it, everything that we'd been looking forward to and looking up to, and, and the kids said it just seems like we didn't even have it. 
and the presents had been open, and we're, we've eaten, and it's over. But it's that way every year. Let me ask you a simple question. What are you going to do tomorrow, Thursday? What are you going to do Friday? What are you going to do at this point? And this passage, I believe, gives us three things that we ought to do in response to Christmas. And I hope that we'll let these sink in. That's the point of, I believe, in preaching is to help us in these areas. But let's look, if you would please, at verse number 17, Luke chapter 2, verse 17. And if we can, let's stand together and back up to verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I want us to think th this evening, think tonight. I want to preach along the lines of after Christmas. What to do after Christmas. Thank you. Please be seated. We heard, preached Sunday night about the shepherds. We're going to talk about them here again in a moment. But notice in verse number 19, after Mary had heard not only what the angel told her, but had heard what the shepherds had Declared, Verse 19, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Whereas the, the crowd marveled at the news, Mary's personal response was that of ongoing reflection. She pondered, she treasured is the idea of the word. She reflected deeply, she kept these things safely stored up in her heart. She pondered what she had heard. She pondered the truth that was given to her. And this is the idea of referring to, it's the mulling over, seeking to understand, seeking to interpret what she had just heard, what she has experienced, and what this impact has upon the rest of her life, and not just her life, but the rest of humanity. And so number one, the thing that we ought to do after Christmas is what Mary did and that was guard the truth in her heart. Guard the truth in my heart. Again, Christmas is a good time to reflect. Mary had a lot to think about as she gazed into the face of a tiny child. Gabriel told her that the little boy would reign forever, 
in chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, the shepherds reported the angel's words that he's the Savior, Christ the Lord, in chapter 2 and verse 11. So as Mary held on to this tiny baby, she must have wondered all that God was doing and who her son would grow up to become. And so she's reflecting, and not just reflecting, thinking about it and moving on with the bigger things at hand, but she's guarding these things in her heart. She's recognizing the, the truth that's been deposited to her. How many times have you heard the Christmas story? Most of you could come up here tonight and tell the story. You've heard enough sermons You've prayed enough prayers. You've rubbed up against the truth long enough to get a callous feeling on your heart so the real truth cannot penetrate deep into your daily life. Familiarity breeds contempt. And the first way to respond to the Christmas message, the Christmas experience, is to make it fresh in your heart by pondering it in a new way. I'm not talking about coming up with a sensational novel concept about Christmas. I'm talking about taking the truth that's 2,000 years old and applying it as the Holy Spirit has, has uh, guided us and guarded our thinking so that we can take the truth that's been given to us and guard it in our very hearts. A chauffeur had driven a chemistry professor to dozens of speaking engagements. And he'd heard the identical canned speech scores of times. And on the way to another engagement, the chauffeur said, hey, professor, I believe I could give your speech myself. I've heard it so often. The professor said, I'll bet you $500 you can't. And the chauffeur said, you're on. So he stopped the car and the two exchanged a tire. They came to the banquet and the chauffeur dressed in a tuxedo, sat at the head of the table and was introduced. He stood up and he gave the speech exactly as he had heard it so many times before. There was a standing ovation when he was finished. The MC got up and said, you know, we're so fortunate to have such a fine resource here with us tonight. And since we have a little bit of extra time, let's take a moment for some questions and answers. Well, the first question was asked by, guess who? The chauffeur. And, uh, or excuse me, the, the, uh, the professor dressed as a chauffeur. And so the first question was asked, and the chauffeur, pretending to be the professor, stood there dumbfounded, clearing his nervous uh, throat. And finally, with a flash of insight, he said, you know, that's just about the dumbest question I've ever heard. In fact, it's so dumb, I bet even a chauffeur could answer that question. Chauffeur, would you like to answer the question here tonight? You know, what was being displayed was, yes, he could regurgitate a canned speech. But it didn't mean that he had absorbed the reality and the truth of what he was talking about. If you think about it, some Christmas traditions are kind of strange. Like greeting one certain Christmas card that went kind of like this. It said, quote, Christmas is just plain weird. 
What other time of the year do you sit around staring at a dead tree in your living room and eat candy out of your socks? Well, there are some things that seem kind of strange. But there's also some things about the Christmas story that sounds kind of weird. I mean, humanly, a virgin teenager gets pregnant, visited by angels, Caesar's tax, the trip to Bethlehem, but no room in the inn, God born in a stable. It's really too incredible to believe if it wasn't given to us by divine inspiration. And you've heard this story so many times, but have you ever truly stopped to think about the weight and significance of the truth. C.S. Lewis said, we don't need to be told new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truths. And how very right he was. This Christmas, we remember again the true meaning of Christmas. God gave himself for us. He was born as one of us so that each of us might be born again into the family of God. And that baby born in Bethlehem almost 2,000 years ago is the Savior of all of us. And while we're repeating the same thing in that Christmas season, it's important that we keep saying the truth that is so vital and so life-changing. Let's not forget what Christmas really is about. We will have fun things. We ought to. We're going to have family time. We ought to. But there's something to be said about being a Christian, being a Christian daily, being steadfast and unmovable. I, I think of independent Baptist churches who are lessening their services during Christmas time, and I don't understand it still. And that's why Sunday night it was not really a free-for-all an option as to whether or not we should be in church. Not if you're a dedicated disciple. Well, I just go to another church. Well, what, what if Mary and Joseph said, we'll just take another route and go to a different place? Well, the star wasn't guiding to a different place. God's plan wasn't a different place. What if we just say, well, you know, it's family time. What if Mary and Joseph said, it's you know, we're supposed to get married. How are we going to get married when this kind of intrusion? Well, who else is doing? I don't see any other virgin, pregnant women walking around. Why am I supposed to do this? I want to tell you some of the worst Examples of Christians are those who will skip God's place of assembly to go assemble with family who need to be impacted by the weight of the Christmas message. Well, my wife just didn't want to go. Hmm. Then your wife needs to read about Mary. There was a wealthy European family and decide to have their newborn baby dedicated in their enormous mansion. Dozens of guests were invited to the elaborate affair, and they all arrived dressed very elegantly. The guests were entertained royally after depositing their, their wraps on a bed in an upstairs room. Soon the time came for the main purpose of their gathering. And 
The time came for the main purpose of their gathering, which was the infant ceremony. But where was the baby? No one could find the baby. That's why they came. And so the, the child's governess ran upstairs, returned with a desperate look on her face. We've checked every room. There's no baby. And they're all pointing fingers and, and different word strategy as to who had the baby last. And, and then someone recalled having seen the baby boy asleep on one of the beds. The baby was on a bed, all right, buried beneath a pile of coats and jackets and furs. You see, the object of that day's celebration had been forgotten and neglected and nearly smothered until it was time. Until it was the, the right time to have the, the ceremony. And the baby whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas is easily hidden beneath the piles of traditions and cultural observances of the season until it's time that we're going to, okay, we're going to, we're going to uh, read the Christmas story. We're, we're going to go to church and we're going to do our part. But we must enter every Christmas season. We must enter every January and February and March and April. And we ought to be asking the question, where's the baby? Where's the Lord Jesus in the midst of everything that we're doing? So number one, we need as Mary to take the truth and guard the truth in my heart. Ponder it, treasure it. Number two tonight, notice in verse number 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. See, these shepherds are good examples for us to imitate. And again, we heard great message and challenge about that Sunday night. They received the message God sent them. They received it by faith. And then they responded with immediate obedience. And so after finding the baby, they reported the good news to others. And the Bible says that they, verse 20, glorified and praised God for all the things that they had heard and seen. You know, what they ended up doing was taking the place of the angels. Because it was the angels who did this in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The shepherds then took the ball of truth and they then went and did the exact same thing. See, these shepherds had witnessed the world's most extraordinary birth announcement. I'm sure you've heard and read these words many times. But I want us to think about it tonight in this way. Not only should we after Christmas guard our heart with truth and not let that truth slip out just because of how familiar it might be. But number two, don't stop glorifying and praising God. See, after Christmas is when a lot of people give up on glorifying and praising because they get the bill for those gifts. They got to go back to work. The lights come down. The festivities end. See, they received the message and they went about doing, as Brother Stevenson pointed out, and I believe was exactly right, and they embrace this as their life. We're going to glorify and we're going to praise God. Now again, I've said, I'm sure you've heard this and read these words so many times. But I, wanna, I want us to read these words. I want to highlight one word that I tend 
to miss myself, and I think that many of us miss. Notice in verse number 10, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now let me tell you the word that needs to be highlighted. It's the word you. You. Notice again verse number 10. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see that? I don't think you did. Let's try it again. Verse number 10. Now you say it. This fill in the blank. This is going back to school. And this is an open book exam. And so some of you in the public school are going to struggle with this. It's open book, but we're going to give you the cues. You're looking for the three-letter word, you. All right? And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good, good news. The Savior's been born to you. This is a sign for you. Verse number 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angel's message to the shepherds was that Jesus Christ is your Savior, your King, your Christ, your gift, straight from God Himself, just for you. Sometimes we focus on the fact that God so loved the world that we forget God so loved you. And He gave His only Son. The gifts were laid out at our house and in Monday morning the kids enjoyed looking at the packages trying to discover which ones were theirs. They could tell which gift was theirs because it had their names on them. The message of the angels is that Jesus is your gift at Christmas. And every Christmas ought to be a reminder to us that He is my gift. He is my King. He's my God. He's my Savior. He's my Comforter. He's my Deliverer. The fact that Jesus came for you, to you, means that you need to respond to this incredible gift. What will you do? What will you do with Jesus? How will you personally respond. I can tell you right now there are some who just responded to the most incredible gift by thinking church that's for regular season. It's not for Christmas season. Christmas season is for fun and family. So how are you going to respond? Don't look at the person sitting beside you. Don't look at the deacons, your fellowship leader. Don't even look at the pastor in regards to your decision. The answer for, that you're looking for is within your heart. How are you responding to the greatest gift ever given to you? You're still struggling with whether or not you can trust the Lord? Are you still substituting what you can do for what He says you ought to do? 
well, I, I don't miss a service, but you still are robbing God by not believing Him in tithing? Well, I come to church when I can, but you make it to target when you want to. How are you responding to God's gift for you? You're determining, but are you doing it on purpose? You respond, and I ought to respond by praising Him, by glorifying Him, giving the right opinion. I, I, I really don't understand the whole family conundrum. I, I really don't get it. I don't care if my whole ancestry tree stopped by. If it's church time, we're going to church. I don't know what the difficult part is. How are you going to tell them how much you love the Lord when you will skip the same way they skip? Someone once said, we've become a generation of people who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Let me read that one again. We've become a generation of people who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Leonard Sweet wrote, Our pews are occupied by people who want to be moved, but who don't want to move. That's why they don't mind letting the church be the substitute, even for God. As great as the church is, the church, however, is not to make your decisions. The church is not to be your substitute for a personal relationship. And so people want to go to church since they are not properly responding to God by glorifying and praising Him on a daily basis. When they go to church, they want to be moved. And what God's looking to do is move you Amen. to engaging in personal relationship with Him. We crave the experience of worship, but we don't work towards it. But worship is what we were created for. I, 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 I honestly, I couldn't tell you who responds in our worship service portion. But very ones who many times say, I can't physically, and they'll have no problem getting up on a ladder, putting the lights on the tree. Getting underneath the table and plugging in. They, they, don't, they don't mind doing what they want to do. They just don't want to look less dignified when it comes to the things of God. And I don't know how you can look at Christmas and see how God, God, left his throne to be less dignified like you, like me. He humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. What a difference it would make in our homes and would translate into our church if people took the, the same heart and mind at Christmas as Jesus and humbled themselves. Well, I thought I was going to take this role this week and I was told I'm not doing this anymore. So what are you going to do? You're going to quit? You're going to pout? You can go tell somebody else what you don't like? Aren't you thankful Jesus didn't do that? Amen. And he knew you. 
He knew all about you. He still knows you. And yet he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a prince. No, as a servant. Took upon himself the form of a servant. And was made into the likeness of man. See, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. They were glorifying and praising him. Don't stop glorifying God. Don't stop praising God. Let me give you a third one. Do you have room for a third one? Look at verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The third way we respond to the gift of Christ this Christmas is by making known the good news. Making known the good news. And we heard much about that again Sunday night. Treasuring Christ is something we do, not by keeping him to ourselves, but by making him known to the entire world. And I really mean the entire world. Remember when Jesus came, he called the 12, he invested in the 12, he gave the 12 the the divine responsibility of getting the gospel to the entire known world. These 11 men, the book of Acts said, turned the known world upside down because they had the the life-changing message entrusted to them. And just that local church, that one church initially was responsible for the entire world. And because we are a church after the same nature and kind and we derive ourselves from the very founder and head of the church, we too have the exact same responsibility. We are responsible for the entire world. But I don't think we oftentimes see it. I'm not going to, I'm going to botch his name. It looks like Luigi, but I don't think that's how you really spell it. Uh, it's L-U-I-G-I, and, um, and, and so it, maybe it is. It sounds like Luigi. Maybe he's kin to you. He's, uh, and his last name is Terry C-O, T-A-R-I-S-I-O. I give that to you so you can look him up if you want to, and um, Luigi, Teresio, that sound good? Sounds really good. He was born of humble parents. And he's said to have trained as a carpenter playing violin as a hobby. He developed an interest in violins themselves. And as a connoisseur with a natural talent for business, he began to acquire and resell some of these many fine instruments that were lying unused in towns and villages of northern Italy, according to Wikipedia. And from 1827 to 1846, he brought a large number of genuine Amati, Stradivari, and Guarani violins from Italy to London and Paris. In 1828, he made his most significant acquisition, and that was a 1716 Stradivari in unused condition. Now, this was his treasure, and he spoke about it on every visit to Paris, but 
He never actually brought it with him. It came to be known as the Messiah. You can look that up. It's one of the most rare violins and one of the most expensive. Running into the high millions of dollars. Luigi Terricio was found dead, however, one morning with scarce a comfort of any kind in his home. Very bare, very meager and poor. Except for the fact he had 246 exquisite violins, which would have come to a total of over a billion dollars. In his devotion to the violin, He's known, however, by many as robbing the world of music for such a long period of time. When one of the greatest in his collection, that Stradivarius, was played, it was the first time it was played in 147 years. How many of us are like old Teresio? In our very love of the church, we fail to give the glad tidings to the world. In our zeal for truth, we forget to publish it. When shall we learn that all the good news that's been given in the birth, the, the uh, death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, it needs to be believed and told over and over again. All people need to hear it. All people like the shepherds who went away that first Christmas to tell everyone they met, many still around us here in Covington have yet to hear about it the very first time. Like the angels who interrupted the shepherd's sleep, the world needs the light of Christ and the message of Christ to wake us up from our sleep. During the American Revolution, the Battle of Blue Licks was fought at the stream that bears that name. And the, the battle should have never been fought because the battle took place after the war had ended. News traveled slowly in those days. Blue Licks is in Kentucky. And there was no quick communication over the Appalachian Mountains at that time. And no one knew that the war was over. It hadn't really gotten out. And, and in a sense, that's exactly what we're facing today. Christ has won the victory over evil at Calvary. And all that is left for us to do is just tell people it's over. The struggle with sin, it's been, it's been dealt with. The power of sin's been given the greatest blow and victory has been won. Death is no, not even a separation factor for people who believe in God. Jesus said, you believe in me, you, you, you have resurrection life because it's not something that we find in religion. It's someone that we discover at the new birth. Oh, for some reason, these shepherds were not permitted to testify in court. That's how low they were on the totem pole of society. But God used some humble shepherds as the first human witnesses to fulfill the prophecy and the birth of the Messiah. But you see, the angels, they've never experienced the grace of God. So they can't bear witness like we can. 
telling others about Jesus is a vital obligation and an incredible privilege at the same time as believers in this miraculous birth and the brutal death and the glorious resurrection. We must never settle with just being observers of this most fantastic news, but faithful witnesses for the rest of our lives. Think about this. Warren Wiersbe said, These shepherds responded in faith and worship, get it, and then humbly returned to their duties. New men going back to the same old job. That's what life-changing truth can do. You don't have to have a change in scenery if you have a change in nature. Once you get the new nature, you don't have to have a different job. You just need a different energy. The one who lives within. You don't have to go find purpose somewhere in some pipeline dream when you've been given the purpose of why you and I were created. To give the message. To to experience rejection. To hear people say, no, I'm not interested. And to be reminded that's exactly how we treated the Lord Jesus. And that's how people treated Him until they understood He is the way, the truth, and the life. And to be able to stay at it because though we we may not be popular, though we may not be great, though we may not never be famous here. All he asks is by faith to be good and faithful, full of faith and giving the good news that will change people's life and eternity. Just a few thoughts of what to do after Christmas. Let's stand together, please.